Okay, let's take our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 39 this morning. <clears throat> there is one other announcement that uh, we needed to make. And in the foyer, there's some envelopes um, from uh, Mum and Dad. They've got a calendar in it, I think. Um, and so please take the one that's got your name on it today. Um, they weren't here to give them out, so they just put them out there and asked um, if you could go there and take them. So there should be one for everyone, so please have a look out there and take the envelope with your name on it. Uh, today before you head home. Genesis chapter 39 this morning and we're just going to read from verse 7 as we begin. It says, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, Lie with me. But refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not uh, what is with me in the house and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again uh, that we can be here this morning, that we can come and spend some time around your word. Lord, I pray this morning you would speak to our hearts, that you would teach us, Uh, instruct us through your word, refresh us and bless us, Lord. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would empower me now through the Spirit and give me wisdom as I speak, uh, that, Lord, this morning it would be your words, your thoughts, and that you would take it and apply it to each of our hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, two weeks ago, we looked at the start of chapter 39 here. We looked at the first six verses of the chapter where we, we see Joseph... Uh, now in this situation where he's in Potiphar's house. And we talked about that, the fact that you know he's been uprooted from everything that he knew. He's lost all of his freedom. He's lost all of his rights. And he now finds himself to be just one of many slaves in Potiphar's house. And indeed, when he first arrived in Potiphar's house, he was the lowest slave. He was at the very bottom of the rung. But God, of course, was still with Joseph even there in Potiphar's house, as verse 2 declares, and the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was still with him. Joseph's situation was not a mistake. God was in control. And God was going to use this situation in Potiphar's house to develop Joseph's uh, capacity and his character for service. God was equipping him for the role that he had for him in the future. And Joseph, knowing that God was in control, knowing that God had planned this situation for a reason, he didn't know what it was, but he knew that God was going to use this for his glory. So Joseph responded in the right way. And we focused on that in particular last time, his right response to the situation. Even though he didn't fully understand what God was doing, even though he didn't understand why he was in this situation, he trusted in the Lord and he responded by faithfully submitting and serving where God had placed him. And because of that right response, God, of course, prospered his time there in Potiphar's house. And indeed, Joseph became a witness unto Potiphar and to the rest of the servants and everyone else in the household there. In verse 3, it says, And his master saw that the Lord was with him. He saw the Lord's hand upon Joseph. He saw the difference in him. And as we know, Joseph was elevated to being in charge over all of Potiphar's house. You know, Potiphar putting everything into his care. 
You know, Joseph now has the complete trust of his master. And you know, his situation has changed drastically again, hasn't it? You know, now he's gone from being at the bottom uh, of the rung, the, the lowest slave in Potiphar's house, to now being in charge over everything in Potiphar's house. His situation has changed once more, and it's now that the events of verse 7 and following occur. And Joseph has been in Potiphar's house now for around about a decade. Okay, most commentators agree he's been in Potiphar's house here for around about 10 years. 10 years it took for him to go from the bottom to the top, and he's been faithfully serving all that time. He's been rewarded by God. God has prospered him. And it's now that this temptation arrives, this temptation which is going to greatly test Joseph. You know, essentially Satan now hurls his fiery darts at Joseph and he seeks to destroy God's servant. Matthew Henry wrote this, The hand of Satan no doubt was in it, who when he had found he couldn't overcome him with troubles and the frowns of the world, he assaulted him with soft and charming pleasures, which have ruined more than the former and have slain their ten thousands. You know, Joseph is now faced with an onslaught, isn't he? He's faced with an onslaught. His character, his faithfulness to God is going to be greatly tested, but God is going to use this very same evil for his glory, isn't he? God is going to use this evil to once, once more accomplish his purpose in the life of Joseph. So notice firstly with me here this morning, we see Joseph enticed to sin. We see Joseph enticed to sin. Let's just read from verse 7 again. It says, And it came to pass after these things, that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. Now as Joseph becomes more important in the house, you know, with more and more authority over you know, everything that's going on, he catches now the eye of Potiphar's wife. And she takes notice of him. That's what it says there in verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. She takes notice of him. And it says at the end of verse 7, And she said, Lie with me. You know, we're almost shocked, aren't we, to see just how forward Potiphar's wife is here in her proposal for sin. You know, she comes to Joseph and she just blatantly says, Lie with me. She doesn't mince her words, does she? She's very forward as she propositions Joseph with sin. You know, sometimes temptation to sin isn't subtle at all, is it? Sometimes temptation is indeed very brazen and it's, it's in our face. And that was certainly the case here for, for Joseph. There was no, nothing subtle about this temptation. It was brazen, it was forward, and her forwardness tells us something about the low morals that existed in Egypt at this time. The commentator Gusik writes this, It seems that in ancient Egypt there were low moral expectations on women, even married women. It was assumed that women would have sex outside of marriage. This was the, the state of the morals in Egypt. They were very low moral standards. And the point is that this kind of sin seems to be commonplace, and so it's not, not a surprise to see Potiphar's wife seeking to do this. And indeed from her forwardness, we, we also get the impression that she is used to getting what she wants, aren't we? You know, perhaps 
She's even done this before with another servant or someone else. The commentator Morris notes this, though nothing is said explicitly to this effect, one gets the impression that this was not the first of Potiphar's wife's amorous adventures. It does seem that she's used to getting her way. You know, when she approaches Joseph so very forwardly, so brazenly, and seeks to seduce him. He's her new target, if you like, that she's seeking to uh, conquer. Indeed, she's so determined that she won't take no for an answer, will she? Verse 10 tells us that. It says, And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. You know, it's not just that she's forward in her proposition. She's also very persistent, isn't, isn't she? It says day by day. She continued to hound him daily with these sexual advances. And, you know, we're not told in the Word of God exactly how long this persisted, but it was certainly more than just a couple of days. It could have been weeks. It could have been months. But eventually an occasion presents itself where she thought she could entrap him and have her way with him finally. Look in verse 11. It says, And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. You know, verse 11 makes it clear that, you know, Joseph, he was simply doing his job, wasn't he? He was minding his own business. It says there in verse 11, it came to pass about this time that Joseph went in the house to do his business. He's innocent. He's not doing anything wrong. He's there doing what he is expected to do of his master. He's there going about his business. But he's in the house alone at this time. Verse 11 at the end there, it says, um, it says there in verse 11, and there was none of the men of the house there within. For whatever reason, the other servants aren't there. They've left. They're out in the field, perhaps. They're working outside. For whatever reason, Joseph is alone in the house, and Potiphar senses, sorry, Potiphar's wife senses her opportunity, senses an occasion to finally get her way, and, and she waits for him to be alone, and then she literally pounces upon Joseph. She grabs him, and more aggressively than ever before, she asked him to sin with her. Verse 12 says, And she caught him by the garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. You know, more aggressively than ever before, she grabs him, holds his garment, and she asks him again to sin with her. You know, this was the, the culmination, wasn't it, of a daily onslaught of temptation. Daily onslaught that Joseph faced. Day by day, she propositioned him. She persistently hounded him until it culminated in this event where she thought she could entrap him in sin. And as I said in the introduction, you know, daily the fiery darts of the wicked were hurled at Joseph. And yet at every step along the way, and I know we know this story well, at every step along the way, Joseph resisted temptation. And his resistance is truly remarkable. It really is. And that's our second point in this morning, Joseph's remarkable resistance. Now just look in verse 7 again. It says, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, 
lie with me, but he refused. And if you drop down to verse 10, it says, And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. He hearkened not. Verse 12, it says, And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. You know, perhaps this is one aspect of the story that we don't normally consider or spend a lot of time thinking about. And that is that just how remarkable it is that Joseph is able to resist what is a very strong temptation to sin. And he doesn't do it just once, he does it repeatedly. Day after day he faces this temptation as we, we saw. And at every point along the way he resists. Now verse 8 it says, but he refused. Verse 10, he hearkened not. And verse 12 of course, he fled. He got him out. Joseph's continued resistance to temptation is remarkable, especially when we consider the environment that Joseph finds himself to be in. Just think about it. Joseph right now, at this time in his life, is far from home, isn't he? He's far from any family support whatsoever. He's far from any godly influence at all. He's far from the place where he worships God. He arrived in Potiphar's house as an impressionable young 17-year-old. And he has spent the last 10 years or so in Potiphar's house where all he has known, all he has been exposed to is Egyptian culture, Egyptian immorality, and Egyptian gods. He has no godly influence in his life whatsoever. It's truly remarkable, is it not, that therefore Joseph is able to resist not just once, not just twice, but continually resist this temptation from Potiphar's wife of all people. You know, she's essentially his master as well. She's an important, powerful woman, most likely a beautiful woman. She propositions him to sin and he outright refuses. You see, it would have been much easier for Joseph just to give in, wouldn't it? It would have been far easier for Joseph to just give in. After all, he's just a slave. He's just a slave. He's just a servant in Potiphar's house, in her house. It would have been far easier for him just to say, well, no one will know. The family will never know. They're, they don't care about me anyway. It's just easier to give in to sin. It would have been easy for him to reason that it was okay. You know, especially seeing as it was the culture of the day, a culture that Joseph was witnessing all around him. Concerning the culture, one commentator wrote this, immorality permeated this pagan culture. Sexual behavior in Egypt would make 20th century immorality look like a Sunday afternoon picnic. You see, the point is, we are exposed to immorality on all sides, aren't we? It's all around us today. But Joseph was, was exposed to the same, if not worse. And he's all alone. Joseph had no family to support him. Joseph had no godly influences, as I said. Joseph didn't have a church that was supporting him. Joseph was alone. You know, it would have been far easier, wouldn't it, for him just to say, I don't care, I'm going to give in. I'm going to just give in to sin. You know, you compare Joseph with others in the Word of God in far better environments, and they quickly fell into sin, didn't they? Think about Eve, for instance. Eve 
she started out resisting the devil for a small smidgen of time and it wasn't long of course before she gave in she doubted God and she sinned let's just go back to Genesis chapter 3 again we know the passage well Genesis 3 verse 1 says now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made and he said unto the woman yea hath God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden and the woman said unto the serpent we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. You know, Eve, it didn't take very long for Eve's defenses to be torn down, did it? And you think about the environment that Eve was in. Eve had never known sin. Eve lived in an environment that was completely free from sin. And yet she crumbled to the temptation to sin that was put before her eyes. Her defences, as I said, were quickly assailed by the devil. You think about David, the man after God's own heart, the man who quickly found himself in a place of sin after he looked at Bathsheba. We won't go there, but 2 Samuel 11 records the story for us. We know it well. You know, David, he was a man who had all the godly influences you could want in his life. He had, you know, Nathan the prophet advising him. He had the opportunity to go whenever he wanted down to the tabernacle and worship the Lord. He had family, he had friends supporting him as he served the Lord. And yet when the temptation was put before David's eyes, he quickly fell into sin, into the same sin that Joseph here is tempted with, adultery. You see, the point is that many in far better environments, far better circumstances than young Joseph found their defences quickly destroyed, found themselves in sin because they yielded to temptation. And yet Joseph, Joseph here, this one who's so far removed from any godly influence whatsoever, is somehow able to resist temptation, not just once, but repeatedly, day by day. Isn't his resistance remarkable? I find it to be, as I read God's word, it's, it's truly remarkable, his resistance to sin. And it leads us to ask the question, how? How is it that Joseph was able to accomplish this? How is Joseph able to resist where so many others failed? What's the secret? And that's our third point this morning. We see Joseph's means of resisting temptation. Joseph's means of resisting temptation. Go back with me to Genesis 39. Genesis 39 and verse 8. It says, But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then? Can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? The secret 
to Joseph's resistance to temptation, to, to sin, can be found in his response recorded for us here in verses 8 and 9. You see, this was his first response, wasn't it? This was the response when she initially propositioned him to sin. And this is the response that he continues to stand firm upon day by day as he faces this temptation. Now, in the first part of Joseph's response here, we see that he refuses to violate Potiphar's trust, doesn't he? Let's just read it again, verse 8. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. Joseph understood that Potiphar had given him a lot of responsibility and he had placed a, a lot of trust in him. And so Joseph refused to violate that trust. That's the first part of his response here, isn't it? He says to Potiphar's wife, how can I violate your husband's trust after all that he's done for me? The trust that he's placed in me. How can I violate that? How can I betray that? But that's not the secret to his success, is it? That's not the secret. If that's all that he's standing upon, the, the desire not to offend Potiphar, then he would have quickly been defeated day by day. The secret to Joseph's success is found in the words at the end of verse 9. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? There's the secret to Joseph's success. You see, Joseph, he does two things right. The first is he calls the act great wickedness. That's his first thing he does right. He views the sin that Potiphar's wife, wife is asking him to do, he views it as God views it, as being great wickedness. J.R. Bailey, Bailey sorry, wrote this, He who has learned to call the sin to which he is tempted this great wickedness has already won half the battle. So that's the point. Joseph, with that response, he's already won half the battle. Because he's already viewing sin as God views sin, isn't he? He's viewing it through the eyes of God. You see, Joseph doesn't call it by some other name. He doesn't diminish how terrible it actually is. He says it's great wickedness. Commentator Gusick writes this, We often want to call sin by another name. Hostility and temper are self-expression. Pride is self-esteem. Gluttony is the good life. Covetousness is trying to get ahead. Perversion is an alternative lifestyle. Adultery is a cry for help in a bad marriage. So the point is, we often do this. The world in particular does it. We often try to diminish just how terrible something is, how wicked it is. We call it by something else and we're trying to make it okay. We give it a, a name that makes it sound a little bit better. But Joseph doesn't make that mistake, he does he? Joseph doesn't diminish... The seriousness of this sin. He calls it what it is. Great wickedness. But more than that, Joseph views it as sin against God. So it says there at the end of verse 9, it says, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He doesn't say sin against Potiphar. He doesn't say sin against Potiphar's wife. He says sin against God. You know, this demonstrates to us something about young Joseph. 
It demonstrates to us that throughout all those years in Potiphar's house, as we said, probably about 10 years, through all those years in Potiphar's house, surrounded by all that wickedness, all that immorality, all that idolatry, Joseph has not lost sight of his God. That's amazing. He's not lost sight of God. Joseph had maintained a relationship with God. Evidently, he had spent time in prayer with God. He had spent time meditating on the character of his God, of the holiness of God. You see, the result was that Joseph knew his God, didn't he? He knew his God, and he knew that this act, this act was sin, and it was great wickedness. It went against the very nature of God. You think about Joseph. He doesn't have the law. It hasn't been given yet. It's not given till years after this event, given to Moses. What's he standing upon? He's standing upon his personal relationship with God. He knows what God is like. He knows the holiness of God. He knows the character of God. And Joseph doesn't want to offend his God. That's the secret to his his victory here. His knowledge of God and his desire to honor God in everything that he did. You know, if we consider the others in the Word of God who failed when temptation came, it's in these areas that they failed. Think about Eve again, as we saw earlier. You know, she was tempted and she soon fell into sin. But the reason that she yielded to temptation was that she lost sight of God, didn't she? She lost sight of who God is. She lost sight of His character. You know, the serpent, the devil, questioned God's Word. Chapter 3, verse 1, he said, Yea, hath God said. He questioned God's word. That's how he started. And then he called God a liar. Verse 4. Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. He questioned God's word, and then he said, God's a liar. Now if Eve, at that moment, had remembered who God is, that he is a God of truth, that he is a God who loves her, she wouldn't have sinned, would she? If she had turned her attention to God and realized, God wouldn't lie to me, God loves me, I can trust His word, she wouldn't have sinned. She would have responded by saying to Satan, this is great wickedness. She would have called it what it is. Wickedness in the sight of God. But Eve lost sight of who God is. She lost sight of His holiness. She lost sight of His faithfulness. Lost sight of His love. She doubted God and she sinned. She sinned greatly. David was the same, was he not? David was on the rooftop and he's already in sin because he should have been with the army. He should have been with his men. He's already doing the wrong thing. He's not where he should be. But he's on the rooftop. He sees Bathsheba and he has an opportunity to stop himself and call it great wickedness, doesn't he? He has an opportunity to say, this is great wickedness. This is sin against God and resist the temptation. But instead, David lies to himself. He lies to himself. He diminishes just how great this sin is. He takes Bathsheba. He sins with her, commits adultery. And then he compounds that by having her husband murdered. So now he's out of the sin of murder as well. You know, throughout it all, David's lost sight of God, hasn't he? He's lost sight of the holiness of God. He's lost sight of the the character of God. Not once through all that event does he look at God and say, what have I done? He's not looking at God. His focus is not on the Lord. You see, throughout it all, David's only concern was that others wouldn't find out. 
You know, and he'd forgotten that God already had found out. He'd forgotten the truth that God sees all. Proverbs chapter 15. Just turn over there. Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15 verse 3. It says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Joseph, uh, sorry, David, he forgot that, didn't he? He forgot this fact that God sees all. David, during this time, is not focused on the character of God. He's not focused on the holiness of God. He didn't once stop and consider God, and it leads him into sin, and then into further sin, and he's out of fellowship with God. You see, it's only when his sin is confronted by Nathan, the prophets, that he finally realizes that his Actions are wickedness in the sight of God. Let's just go over to 2 Samuel and read uh, Nathan's confrontation with him. In 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel 12 verse 1. Let's just read the whole passage here. It says, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding great, sorry, exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It had eaten of his own meat and drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveller unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd, to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man." Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife have slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from, the house, from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives from before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. You see, Nathan confronts him, doesn't he? You know, and you can see at the start of the chapter, Nathan, uh, David, he has lost sight of God. He can't even see that he's the one in sin. He can't see that he's done great wickedness. And he gets angry at this story about this rich man taking the lamb of a poor man. And it's only when Nathan points out to him that you are the man, David. It's you. You're the one in sin. It's only then that he recognizes what he's done. And notice that when 
David is confronted with his sin. Nathan calls it in verse 9, evil in the sight of the Lord. He calls it what it is. He calls it great wickedness. Until this point, David had not seen his sin for what it was. He had not called it great wickedness and only now does he realize what he's done. And to his credit, in verse 13, he says, I've sinned against the Lord. He recognizes his sin. He finally says, it's against the Lord, against his character, his holiness that I've sinned. You see, the point is that both David and Eve, they lost sight of the character of God. They lost sight of his holiness. They got their eyes off the Lord and it resulted in them sinning against God. But Joseph, Joseph doesn't lose sight of God. He doesn't lose sight of who God is. He doesn't lose sight of God's holiness, his character. As this temptation comes day by day, his focus is still upon the Lord. You see, this is the source of his victory. It's the close relationship that he had with God. That's the source of his victory. And not just that he had a close relationship, David had a close relationship, so did Eve, but that he maintained that relationship. He continued to walk in that right relationship with God. You see, his knowledge of the character of God and his refusal to sin against God gave him the victory over this temptation. You see, beloved, when we lose sight of God, when we lose sight of who he is, when our relationship is not what it ought to be, Eve, David, that's when we find ourselves yielding to temptation. Isn't it? When we're not walking right with the Lord, that's when we find ourselves in sin. In Ephesians 4, we're told to put on the new man and put off the old man. And how is it accomplished? It's accomplished by renewing our minds. Go over there with me, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 verse 17. It says, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord that henceforth, sorry, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be, that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on uh, the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You see, we're told to put off the old man, that old way of thinking, those old desires, put on the new man, the new way of thinking, those new desires. How is it accomplished? By renewing our mind, as he says there in verse 23. Be renewed in the spirits of our mind. You see, this is how we put off the old man and put on the new man. This is how the, the change takes place in us. It's by renewing our minds. And that takes place as we get to know God. We get to know him more and more through his word. As we meditate upon the Lord, as we meditate upon Him and we learn about His holiness, His character, little by little we are changed. Our minds are renewed. And it's then that we're able to resist temptation and overcome sin. You know, we can go to 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 where it says that we are changed in His image from glory to glory, little by little. 
Romans 12, verse 2 talks about us being transformed by the renewing of our minds. You see, the point is, we cannot do it in our own strength. Joseph didn't get the victory through willpower. He didn't. He didn't get the victory through willpower. He got the victory because he kept his focus on God. You see, beloved, we like Joseph must understand that victory does not come by strength of will. Even David, they show that to us. They demonstrate that fact. Strength of will will not get you to the victory over sin, over temptation. Victory comes by maintaining that close relationship with God daily, keeping our focus upon Him, getting to know Him more and letting Him change us from the inside out. You know, 1 John 5 verse 4 says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Faith is the victory. You see, it's as we look to God for strength, as we get to know Him more, by, uh, more every day through His Word, and we walk by faith that, like Joseph, we will be able to overcome and gain the victory. A right view of sin and a right view of God enable us to resist temptation. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, we thank you for young Joseph once more. And Lord, what a, a godly example he is to us, Lord, of how we are to overcome sin in our own lives. Now, Lord, it's not through willpower. And Lord, I'm sure we can all attest that any time we try and do it ourselves, we fail miserably. Lord, victory only comes by drawing nigh unto you, calling sin what it is, and keeping our focus upon you. Lord, may you enable us every day to maintain that right relationship, that right walk with you, so we might not fall when those fiery darts are hurled, hurled at us, Lord. That we stand firm uh, in your strength, in your power. Lord, bless as we close and bless our morning tea we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.